Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Arab Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Come in, oh, God. 
in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM. 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org and of course on the NSN app. And I thank those who are commenting on the app. And a special thank you to uh, somebody who commented on the app very early this morning. 
and that's listener Yehudis, for telling me about taking a family member for an endoscopy because of uh, what we had been discussing on the air about the dangers down the road of acid reflux. And uh, thank God all is okay, and uh, it is heartwarming when people take my advice based on our family's experience and go for the test and take it very seriously. It certainly could save lives. Uh, Yaakov Shweki with B'derech um, HaMelech. You heard Eitan Katz, Pe'ero from Unplugged Volume 2. Shlakrak Lechadodi, Isaac Bitone, Lechadodi. Kvodo done by Lipa Schmelzer. Achenu from, Bas uh, Shabbos rather from Achenu. And Regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on the September the 9th, day 6 in the month of Elul. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shoftim with candle lighting time at 6.54 on this Erev Shabbos. 6.54, your official candle lighting time. As uh, the days quote-unquote, are getting earlier and earlier. <laughs> so funny, some of the terms we come up with. Uh, 82 degrees, 67% humidity, winds west at 6, afternoon thunderstorms, and a high temperature today of 90, partly cloudy tonight, low 76, tomorrow partly cloudy, a high of 93. You shall at 86, we're at 82 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Um, let's see, uh, Sunday we're in Chicago, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, you'll be able to see and hear our broadcast from Jewel Osco in Chicago as we participate in their big kosher marketplace celebration. So tune in around 2 o'clock Eastern Time for that, both audio and video at NahumSiegel.com and on the NSN app. And um, an hour from now, it's Malcolm Honline, <clears throat> Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will have the... Um, Weekly update for us coming up about an hour from now. And a plenty more all through the day, of course. Naomi Nachman with Table for Two, the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix, which goes through the entire day. I am asking everybody out there to give it a chance. You will see how incredible it is to um, have that music mix going through the entire day. It really is incredible. Uh, take my word for it or not, but I suggest not. I suggest you check it out yourself. 23 minutes before 7 o'clock. Good morning. It's a Friday, Erev Shabbos, and thanks for tuning in. This is JM in the AM.
Yeah, you must let me buy the apple. 
JM in the AM. David Dax with the Shabbos medley. Rabbi's sons before that was Shabbos Kodesh. He wrote something done by Maishi Menlowitz. You heard Yehuda in there with Hodul Hashem. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shoftim, candlelighting at 6.54 on this Erev Shabbos. As things get earlier and earlier each week. Afternoon thunderstorms with a high of 90 clouds tonight and tomorrow. Low tonight, 76 tomorrow, the high 93 degrees. Hot Shabbos coming up. 86 right now in Yerushalayim, 82 here in Jersey City. 7 o'clock in the morning on a Friday, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Make sure to be tuned in Sunday. JM Sunday with Matis starts at 7 a.m. and it's live and it's amazing and it's two full hours from 7 until 9 Eastern time on the stream at uh, jmnam.org and of course on the NSN app. Matis speaks with uh, Rabbi Dov Lipman coming up on Sunday. He'll be uh, Matis's guest at one time, as we know, a member of Knesset. And then 2 p.m. Eastern time. You'll hear people like myself and Miriam L. Wallach and others from Chicago. Jewel Osco Kosher Marketplace Celebration, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. We look forward to seeing everybody in Chicago. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. Newscast next to Jamie. Galei Tzal, Shah Stein, Khan Shibel Karmi Mansur, in Mashakur Achshab. Barisot Achanion, Shekaras Betel Aviv, Nimza Harug Nosaf, Medavach Katavenu Itamar Katsir. אנשי פיקוד העורף יתרו גופה נוספת בין הריסות החניון ברמת החייל וכעת הם פועלים לחילוצה. וכך עולה מספר ההרוגים באסון לארבעה. כעת יפעלו הכוחות לאיתור שני הנעדרים הנוספים שנותרו מתחת להריסות. ברחוב אסף שמחוני בפתח תקווה נפצע גבר בן 23 באורח קשה לאחר שנתקר. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מדווחת כי נסיבות האירוע אינן ברורות. צוות של מגן דוד אדום פינה את הפצוע לבית החולים בלינסון כשהוא סובל מפגיעות בפלג גופו העליון. בשרפה בבית מגורים ברחוב פינסקי בחיפה נספה גבר כבן 80. הוא נמצא ללא רוח חיים במהלך סריקות במבנה לאחר כיבוי הלהבות ומותו נקבע במקום. נסיבות הדלקה נבדקות. שרי החוץ של רוסיה וארצות הברית מביעים דאגה בעקבות הניסוי הגרעיני שערכה קוריאה הצפונית. כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי. שר החוץ של רוסיה, סרגי לברוב, אמר כי יש לשלוח מסר חריף מאוד לפיונג יאנג. אני מודאג מאוד, החלטות מועצת הביטחון של האו"ם חייבות להיות מיושמות, כך לברוב. שר החוץ של ארצות הברית ג'ון קרי אמר, אנו עוד מנסים לבדוק מה התרחש בדיוק, והוסיף שאובמה התייחס לנושא עוד היום, וכי האו"ם ידון בהתפתחויות. השניים אמרו את הדברים לפני פגישתם בז'נבה, בנושא המשבר בסוריה. התחזית מחר וביום ראשון יוסיף להיות חם מהרגיל ונאה, בשני התקררות. אלה החדשות שעורך עמרי רחמימוב, בצוות ליאור שלמה וטל וניק.
شابوس کی شابوس روز دشابوس دیس آخت است روز
In the AM, Shlaimi Gertner's Shabbos Hayom. You heard Rosh Shabbos done by David Gabe. Yerachmiel had Vishamru and Jerusalem Stone was eighth day to open up the hour. Friday morning broadcast on this Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shoftim. Candle lighting at 6.54 in this Erev Shabbos. 
Thank goodness we have the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix all the way until candle lighting time, which means at 9 o'clock you listen to Naomi Nachman right after JM and the AM. She'll be doing the uh, Table for Two program. So you do that uh, at 9 o'clock this morning. And um, then at 10 o'clock, the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix that goes all the way until candle lighting time. Uh, just keep it on the NSN app all through the day. Keep it on your computer, the listen line. However it is that uh, you tune into us all through the day, uh, that's how you tune into the Arab Shabbos music mix all through a Friday um, with the NSN app. 82 degrees, afternoon thunderstorms, a high of 90. Malcolm Honeline, 20 minutes from now, we'll get back into our weekly update after the uh, lack of a weekly update last week. Uh, you can comment on anything happening during this show, including if you have questions or suggestions about our weekly update, uh, by going to the NSN app. Just click on the uh, part of the home screen of the app that says Add a Comment, and uh, you can uh, post away, as we like to say. Simple as that. Don't forget, Sunday, Matis Wine Gas starts our morning. Always does an amazing job with JM Sunday. I mentioned last week how uh, much of an inspiration it is that Matis has never missed a live presentation of JM Sunday in all these years. So he inspires everybody with great music and conversation every single Sunday between 7 and 9. Rabbi Dove Lippman is uh, going to be on JM Sunday this week. In fact, Matis has asked me to be on JM Sunday this week. Because um, later in the afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll be in Chicago broadcasting from Jewel Osco and the Big Kosher Marketplace celebration. And Amatis said that uh, if I land on time, if I'm in Chicago before 9 a.m. Eastern Time, then he would love to have a conversation about the brand new NSN season. And I'm sure we can get a word in about the Chicago shows as well. So... Um, we anticipate doing that on Sunday morning, please God. And Sunday afternoon, as we said, two till five Eastern time. You can check it all out, check it all out, audio wise and video wise, at NahumSiegel.com and on the NSN app. And we'll be out there in Chicago. If you have friends, relatives, um, business associates, anybody you know in Chicago, Illinois, let them know that we'll be there starting for them at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, at 1 p.m. Central Time, <laughs> thank you, uh, out in Chicago. Hatsala of Middlesex County is holding their annual fundraiser carnival this Sunday from 1 until 5 at 71 Ethel Road in Piscataway. Uh, it's a small but growing Hatsala based in the uh, community of Edison. It was founded by our good friend Fischl Erps, and it serves Edison, Highland Park, East Brunswick, and many communities in the Raritan Valley. Um, information about Sunday's event from 1 until 5 for Hatsala of Middlesex County. It's 347-539-6380, 347-539-6380 uh, for any information you need about the event this coming Sunday. Simcha Liners next. This is JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M. Chazen Yanki Lemmer. He's amazing. It's called Mim Komcha. comes from the uh, CD entitled It Is Shabbos. Moshe, yes, had Lachado Dodi. You heard Bunim done by Simcha Liner. Time for our Elul chauffeur blowing on a Friday morning broadcast here at J.M. and the A.M. Does it feel like it's almost time for the brand new year? Usually when the Rosh Hashanah is quote-unquote early, it sneaks up on us, and we can't believe we're getting into the season. But for some reason, even though it's so late this year, to me at least, it doesn't seem real that the uh, high holidays are right around the corner. I believe it's three weeks from this coming Sunday night, if I'm not mistaken. Not before we head to Chicago this coming Sunday. Make sure to be tuned in Sunday afternoon on your stream jmnam.org, nachomsegel.com, video on the home screen at nachomsegel.com of our visit to Chicago. If you're, if you're in Chicago or know of anybody who uh, is out there, lives there, works there, etc., let them know that we'll be there at the uh, Jewel Osco in Evanston, Illinois, this coming Sunday. Should be a lot of fun. We are anticipating a lot of fun. Uh, Malcolm Holmline will join me for the weekly update coming up here at JMNAM. That's just minutes away. The weekly update, Malcolm Holmline will return and we'll do that here at JMNAM. Want to wish a happy birthday, actually, to three people that I know celebrating a birthday today. First of all, the esteemed general manager of the Nachum Siegel Network, Miriam L. Wallach. She is celebrating a birthday today. Happy birthday, Miriam. Uh, the esteemed president of Yeshiva University, Richard Joel. He is celebrating a birthday today. We say happy birthday, Mr. President. And um, our good friend and a one-time NSN staff member, Daniel Gordon, Chief of Staff to President Joel up at Yeshiva University. He is celebrating a birthday today. So happy birthdays um, times three at least. Probably a lot more out there <laughs> going round on this Friday morning here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 6.54 on this era of Shabbos. Plenty more coming up. Uh, Rabbi Yudin at 8.15 at 9 a.m. It's Naomi Nachman in table for two. And you know the schedule for Sunday, Matis. Uh, between 7 and 9 a.m. live, and then we'll be live starting at 2 p.m. Eastern time from Chicago, Illinois, from the Jewel Osco Kosher Marketplace celebration. J.M. in the a.m., and uh, we continue with uh, Ben C. Marcus, Benny Friedman and company with Just One Shabbos.
I said to him, hello, my friend, he seemed a bit surprised. I wished him a good job, his confusion filled his eyes. I've seen you all before, I'd love to learn much more, but I've never done it all, I'm just not sure. I asked him, won't you join with us to understand and see? He came and stayed a while and thanked us happily. Next Shabbos came along, his feelings grew so strong. He first began to feel that he belonged. Yeah. 
Weekly update coming up. Curry Bone done by Mordechai Ben David. Ben C. Marcus and company with just one Shabbos, that great single from last year's Shabbos project. Arab Shabbos Parsha Shoftim with candle lighting at 654 on this Arab Shabbos. Big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. If you want, uh, oh, I don't know, thousands of articles to print out before Shabbos about what's happening in Israel and the Jewish world, uh, one, of, one of the most amazing resources is JewishWorldReview.com, who continue to enthusiastically point their readers to our incredible 24-hour live stream at jmam.org and on the NSN app, and we thank them. A uh, big thank you to our friends at OnlySimchas.com, who have added really an amazing array of uh, great news items to their um, incredible collection of Simcha news that they publish on a daily basis. Um, so a very big thank you to them at OnlySimchas.com. I suggest you check it out at least once a day. Maybe even five times a day, depending on the day. Hey, Mazel Tov going out to Alex Thurm of Englewood and Zachary Ratzker of Livingston, New Jersey. They got married this past Monday night. Mazel Tov to the Thurm and Ratzker families from all of us here at JM in the AM. Mazel Tov. Um, Sunday, as we mentioned, we are in Chicago. If you know anybody in the uh, Windy City point them to the Jewel Osco Kosher Marketplace on Howard Street in Evanston. We'll be broadcasting there starting at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can follow all the action on our website, NahumSiegel.com, both in audio and video fashion. Of course, listen to the whole thing on the uh, NSN app, comment, etc. We welcome it. <laughs> 
All right, so make sure to uh, participate with us at some point Sunday afternoon. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good to be back with you again. Appreciate that. Uh, we've been watching, and I'm sure you've been observing over the last couple of weeks, as more state legislatures either take up or confirm the anti-BDS legislation that many of us would love to see everybody uh, you know, hop aboard. Um, yesterday, a hearing in New York City, I know, I know that we don't always discuss local issues, etc., but, but why do you think yesterday's hearings in New York, New York City specifically, were so contentious and had so much opposition when we see anti-BDS legislation sail through certain bodies of government in this country? Uh, well, uh, just for your audience's edification, there is a resolution before the city council against BDS. It doesn't have real legislative impact, but it is certainly very important as a message and supports the, the actions of the governor and puts New York City on record, as it should be, against this discriminatory uh, practice. And the there were announcements made of the hearing. Uh, we, the conference presidents, was invited, and our chairman, uh, the head of the Lawfare Project, both testified there, but hardly got a sentence out before they were interrupted. It was really a horrific scene that here in New York, uh, you cannot speak out in support of Israel without having the kind of harassment and uh, and threats, so much so that they had to be escorted to their cars by the police to leave the city council chambers in New York. And the police did a great job with them and handled it well. They, they had to twice evacuate the, the council chambers uh, of the guests and the people who were there. I, I hardly would call them guests. Uh, and, um, uh, and unfortunately, some come from within our own community. And, and I think it was because it was publicized and they, they knew that this would get visibility uh, that they uh, took these actions. California last week passed BDS legislation, and you did not have this kind of disruption. Uh, and... I think the same was true for New Jersey and most of the other places. There are always people who object, there are people who threaten lawsuits, etc. Uh, but it tells you, and as uh, Steve Greenberg, the chairman of the conference, said at the hearing, putting aside his prepared remarks, he said, now I understand what our kids go through every day on the campuses in America. Yeah, yeah good and point. We, good and, point. We are, and what we are seeing, by the way, Nahum, is a sharp increase in the physical violence, in the physical expressions of various kinds, not just violence, um, that the BDS movement itself did not succeed. It's not having an economic impact that's very great. But that's not their purpose. Their purpose, because the economic impact, if it's effective, would be greatest on Palestinians working in Israel who are losing jobs and uh, being deprived of a, of, of a livelihood because of it. And they're the ones who come to us to, to fight the, the BDS movement. The 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 impact, the purpose is, of course, to delegitimize Israel and to to use this as a vehicle, uh, as they did in against apartheid South Africa. And of course, we all know the analogy is not is not a relevant one. So the 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 escalation, I think, is an expression of some of the frustration that they are feeling. But I think it's it's a warning, and we are and others are taking precautions, working on the campuses, trying to assure that we are ready. The and working with a lot of the organizations who are on campus to 
to make sure that every Jewish student feels safe. The Lawfare Project will provide legal services. We'll reach out to administrations where they are not taking proper action. And unfortunately, there are too many where presidents, universities, or university deans and other administrators have not stood up and acted against perpetrators as they should have. So if one would again go back to my original question and ask why in New York City specifically uh, it happened this way as opposed to in so many other areas of the country as you pointed out, uh, the answer sounds like they were simply, there was a a, a better, there was an, I shouldn't say better, there was an organized effort by right. and by BDS by pro BDS people to use this forum to use this uh, arena to to make their point and disrupt as much as possible. And, and we have a larger collection of these nuts in New York, and uh, of these kind of forces. And, but again, because there was advance notice, because right. everything here is visible, and they know that they can get media coverage. Right. And you know what someone said to me this morning? They said, um, "Well, at least now we know what our neighbors really think about Israel." And I said, "You know." Maybe there is a silver lining, because you've pointed out that sometimes it's good to know, you know the truth about what the enemy is thinking. But, but it's not our neighbors, and they don't represent a significant uh, percentage, neither in the city council, outside the city council, the citizens of New York, the citizens of New York State, or of America. Every poll shows that that's the case. And the vast majority of the members of the city council, of course, one would expect that a Charles Barron type will speak up against it, and as he did, but... The vast majority of the city council will, I'm sure, support the, the measure, and so will the people of New York, as they did the governor's uh, executive order and the New Jersey legislation, and and similarly in many other places. Yeah, um, I'm having I, I'm I'm having difficulty understanding how Moscow now has become the power broker when it comes to Middle East negotiations. We know the United States' role, obviously, historically. Uh, we know, we're familiar with the EU and France specifically recently and uh, some of the countries who've been involved in trying to be the broker of these talks. What happens? Putin, to his advantage or to make a point to other countries, specifically the U.S., I would guess, and other European, and, and European countries, simply sends out an invitation knowing that both Netanyahu and Abbas will agree to it, that it's in their best interests to attend some type of summit. Could you, could you give us the analysis from all three perspectives, why Russia would, would issue an invitation like this, why Israel would accept, and why the PA representative would accept? Well, if you were a regular listener to the Nachum Siegel show on Friday morning, <laughs> you would have known that uh, this is not a surprising development because it's something, uh, as you do know, I've talked about for a long time about the increasing role that Russia was playing, filling the vacuum left by the United States and the West right. in the region as a whole. And I will tell you that I had three meetings this week with uh, Arab leaders uh, here in New York, and they, they uh, like everyone else you meet, express the same um, sentiment, and we saw it, what happened at the G20 meeting, even the treatment of uh, the disgraceful treatment of the president by by the Chinese, not putting up uh, the steps to his aircraft, let right. alone a red carpet, etc. Uh, th- there is a marginalization of the United States, and Putin, who sits on top of an economy the size of Italy's and without oil the size of Holland, I think. Uh, who is extended in Syria. You see now his operations out of Iran, the base in Iran. Uh, you see the leaders of Turkey, Iran, um, Azerbaijan, other countries who do not want to be in his sphere, who do not want to go into his open arms, uh, are doing so 
because as they told me from at least two of those countries, we're being driven there because the United States beats up on our friends. We make demands on them, with, and as, as we did with Egypt, you know, about the Muslim Brotherhood or with Aliyev about human rights and other issues, which are legitimate issues. But the sense is that, that uh, Putin stands by his friends and the United States and the West are are absent right. and the whether it's true or not it's the, certainly the perception that exists and Russia is eating our lunch every day they are moving in to every venue and he cleverly leverages his position i mean he has spent a small fraction of what we spend in syria he, but he's made 10 times more from arms sales because of it <coughs> and he he moves in wherever he sees the united states in a situation of friction with a country he comes in to the Egyptians and says, we'll sell you the weapons, if, if, uh, or, if, or if you're feeling isolated, we'll be there. And this is true of countries that broke away from the, when, from the former Soviet Union, who certainly don't want to go back under the umbrella, even if it's not you know, formally emergent to another country, but right. again, back into a Soviet Union. But they, they cherish their independence, and yet they feel the necessity and... You know, they're feeling pressure from every side, from Turkey, from from uh, Iran, all the expansionist movements, the caliphate building them, uh, Al-Qaeda, even though people dismiss it, it's a mistake, the, the um, Wahhabis. There are so many pressures, and they feel very much alone. So in this case, uh, I'm not sure that the meeting in Moscow will take place. I would have very serious doubts about it. The, the, there's no clear date. There's no clear agenda. It's a, a ploy, I think. The French, as you know, are in the process now of trying to convene, the, I think, during the General Assembly. They'll convene a meeting with experts, and they're going to try and convene the heads of state. I don't think Israel will go. I don't know if the Palestinians will go, except they know that the French well, uh, they, field they, is a much more hospitable one to them. But they've already declared that they're going to go to the one in Moscow. Am I right, the PA? Well, no, they... It's less than a clear declaration that they're going to go. He said that he accepted... But Abbas will set preconditions. Well, BB said he'll true. go right. if there are that's no true. preconditions. That's true, right. That's good point. And, right. you know, he has developed a relationship right. uh, with Putin. And I remember Putin told me many years ago, maybe 20 years ago almost, he said, you know, I told... Uh, no, it was less than that. Uh, uh, I met him the first time in 1998 when he was head of the KGB, and he said many interesting things. But when he became... Uh, when he was prime minister in the early second, third year... He said to me, I told Arafat that if you attack Israel, you attack Russia. I have a million citizens there, and I, my job is to protect them. So while he certainly hasn't manifest that in every decision that he's made, but you know there is a, an understanding, for instance, in Syria. It's not a, a common agreement, as some people have said. It's an understanding that, when you, that they don't interfere with each other, Israel having the right to, to take action to protect its borders, and the Russians flying around there to do what it wants to do and uh, bombing uh, very widely. And there have been many developments in that regard, too, that we should uh, discuss. Is the, um, when, when Netanyahu accepts this invitation or says he's ready to go, is that a slap in the face to the U.S.? I mean, more so maybe to you know, the French and the Europeans because of their more immediate role at, the, at, the, at this point. But what about, what about the U.S.? Is it... Is it a slap in the face to President Obama when he goes ahead and publicly says he's ready to accept Putin's invitation? He said he's open to any meaningful invitation. Uh, when President Sisi of Egypt 
put it forward, he said yes, because he has to show, and he has shown, that Israel's always ready to accept any serious invitation to talk. And if he would say, I have hesitations, or I think the United States should do it, then the whole world would say, oh, you see, that's, that's, uh, Israel doesn't want to engage in the discussion. So he responds and said, look, we're open to it. You have a serious proposal. I'm ready to come to Moscow. He was ready to go to Cairo. He was ready to meet with him anywhere, and he said, I've been waiting for seven years uh, for this uh, for this to happen. Maybe Abbas is looking at it and saying, oh, I remember my old KGB days, <laughs> now that he's been accused of being a member of the KGB and a, a Soviet spy in Syria and right. <laughs> other things, which should not be as surprising as people find it. If you remember, in, in the 60s, the PLO was, was a subsidi- a wholly owned subsidiary of, of the Russians. I mean, they were the ones who were funding it, manipulating it, controlling it, and he did his doctorate in Moscow, hmm. if you remember, on Holocaust denial. So it's not so far-fetched. Sorry? It's not so far-fetched, actually. That's right. If you, hmm. you put it in context, then you realize right. that there is a, 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 you know, a strong likelihood that, that that kind of relationship could have existed. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Don't forget Sunday, Matis uh, does a live show between 7 and 9 a.m. called JM Sunday, or by Dove Lippman, one-time member of Knesset, will be his guest. We'll be on at 2 p.m. Eastern Time from the Drew Osco Supermarket, the Kosher Marketplace in uh, Evanston, Illinois. We'll be there in Chicago. Can't wait to come and see our friends in Chicago this coming uh, Sunday. Um, I- I'm having, um, uh, I shouldn't say difficulty because that would be, that would be bad. I- I'm, I'm trying to follow uh, the, the situation with ISIS and uh, all these articles I'm reading, including some that you posted on the Daily Alert about them losing territory and therefore ISIS um, fighters potential terrorists are now uh, being farmed out or end up in other countries, European countries, etc. First of all, what does it mean that ISIS is losing control over certain areas of land? What, what, what does that mean? Who, who is fighting them and taking over those areas? This is a very important uh, question, uh, Nachum, because, again, it doesn't get much coverage, and that's why we try to highlight it uh, in the Daily Alert that people see uh, an issue, as you know, I'm talking about for many years, and it, the, the significance and the potential threat is so underestimated of the returning uh, fighters, fighters, foreign fighters who are in Syria, and there are tens of thousands, we estimate 30,000 still uh, uh, associated with ISIS. And ISIS, as you remember, when they took Raqqa and they took other areas in Syria, brought in more and more fighters. They were recruiting, I don't know, another thousand a month, uh, according to some estimates, even uh, until recently, until now, they and they would deploy them in the different areas, let's say like Iraq. As the bombings uh, have escalated and targeting ISIS by the Russians, by the Iranians, by the, the some of the rebel groups, the, and the Syrian army for sure, uh, they, uh, they have been losing and, re- and retrenching from territory both in Syria and in Iraq. Mm-hmm. So they need to do something with these uh, foreign fighters. They don't have the area to deploy them. And so that they, they have been going back to their home countries. And remember, they carry European passports. There may be 
I don't know, 8,000 or more from, from Europe, probably much more. We know at least 1,500 from France. No, Britain, 800, uh, maybe more. And they estimate that maybe half of those from Britain have returned. Now, remember, they're coming back now radicalized, trained, armed, and uh, they sneak in through the borders. And then once you're in Europe, you go across all the borders. And the question is how much, tra- how much they can uh, track them. You, you need many people to assign, as the French um, minister told me, that you need 10 people to watch each one of them, and they don't have 15,000 people just to uh, uh, assign from it. So, uh, you know, it, the, the uh, ISIS still claims that in 2016, for those who, who think that they've been greatly diminished, they claimed 730 suicide attacks in, in Iraq, Syria, and, and Libya. So they are very active, 81 in August alone. And of these, uh, about half were in Iraq and, and, and about half were vehicle-borne and the rest were suicide belts. So they are very active. Uh, and now you're going to have the de- redeployment of these trained terrorists and, and people who have actually killed in the field to go back to Europe to carry out attacks. And to, they don't have to do it immediately. They can do six months, three months, but we will see the consequences. Talk about terrorism not having an address or, or, or portable terrorists. I mean, this is... Re- exactly right. It's, it, they, they, they are mobile armies. They don't need infrastructure. They don't need tanks. You know, so it's, you know, it, it, it's it, almost impossible to predict where, uh, you know, they will show up the next time. And each individual country, including the ones you mentioned in Europe, where they're moving freely between them, needs its own intelligence service and security forces in order to deal with this. I mean, And coordination between them, that if somebody is sighted, that they cross borders and that they be identified uh, as doing so, and, and that people, uh, you know, that the, uh, the computerization of information, that was part of the problem in Charlie Hebdo and other, time, other places in the, in the Brussels bombing, that information wasn't shared and, 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 or taken seriously enough as it was shared. That guy, you know, the guy who carried out Charlie Hebdo, remember he was living openly in his community in Malenbeck for, for a long period of time. Uh, so if the United States is, I don't know, you, you could describe to us the, the difficulty, the level of difficulty of, of, of one of these guys getting into the U.S., is it much, much easier in the European countries? Is it, are, are they, you know, you've always spoken about the NYPD and obviously American security forces in terms of getting, you know, through these borders. Is it much, much easier for them to do it in Europe? It is easier in Europe because you can, as the immigrants, you can sneak in with them, and many are, and, 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 and admit that they are, announce that they are. You can get in, it's, it's 300 miles from Sert in Libya to Crete, which means you're already in Europe, right. and you come as a refugee, very hard to prove. Uh, that's why the, the importance of intelligence. I think the United States is is on top of it. New York certainly, people are concerned and watching it. Right. But we are a big country too, and we have a southern border, which is is uh, from Mexico, for instance, which we know has been vulnerable. Uh, I think we we are working, and the Homeland Security and others are are very much aware of it. Uh, we have a Canadian border yeah. that c- can be penetrated, and if an Ameri- if somebody has an American passport and he comes back. Um, I don't know that you can, you, you really can uh, uh, be sure that, that we go, and, and we have Americans there, but only in the hundreds in Europe you're talking about, 
in the thousands and many of the governments of Europe not determined to do stuff, unwilling to take the necessary steps, won't even identify terrorism uh, as terrorism. And, and just on your earlier question about uh, uh, the Russian-Israel relationship, Israel has made clear there's no substitute for the US, special U.S.-Israel relationship. Moscow is not going to replace the United States. Israel should have good relations with as many countries as possible. But the fundamental relationship is still the, the U.S.-Israel relation. And you saw Ash Carter, the defense secretary, meeting with uh, uh, Lieberman and assuring the Israel's qualitative military edge again this week. So that still remains the core relationship. Yeah, I get I get that. But I always, you know, for those of us who never understood from an American perspective why they would allow uh, the EU, the quartet, you know, to, to be involved in any of this, you know. Well, the U.S. has opposed the French initiative and, and has worked hard to, to try it and, and said they wouldn't even participate. It's still not clear what they will do at the U.N. General Assembly session. There will be a meeting, we think, of the quartet. Because th this was the direction, was to internationalize every conflict, and that is part of the diminution of the role of the United States. And Europeans, frankly, after they saw that the red lines didn't hold in Syria and some of the other things, I mean, they have many excuses for what they, they don't do. And in the meantime, Russia just steps into every void. They don't do much. They don't give the kind of money and aid that the United States does and, and, and their goals are very political and strategic. In Syria, they want a lot to keep a base. We saw them flying out of, of Iran, you know, out of the Hamadan base. And then there was a big reaction because they went public with it. And the Iranians, the Iranian people don't like the Russians because Russia invaded in 1945-44. Uh, they invaded Iran together from the north and England from the south. And in, when the war ended, the British pulled out. The Russians didn't. And it took... The first Security Council resolution in 1946, the very first, was against Russia for its occupation of Iran. And the, there's a lot of resentment historically also between Russia and Iran. So when they made this announcement and Russian planes in violation of the Iranian Constitution, by the way, were based at this thing. And then they said they pulled out, and then they said, no, they didn't pull out. They never pulled out. And I know from Iranian sources that they have been working, the Russians, for a year in this base, building the infrastructure, because they're there to stay. And they are increasing their footprint everywhere. To support who? To support the current Iranian government? To support, support who? their interests. But and their interest is, number one, that they expand their, their footprint in the region in Syria to have the Latakia Air Force Base to assure that they will be able, you know, which is their further south, further south uh, uh, naval base. They have an Air Force Base. You know that they've just signed an agreement to build a railroad going from the heart of Russia to through uh, Azerbaijan to Iran to the warm water ports. This is some, these, these are goals that are historic goals of Russia, and they've, what they've called the North-South Corridor. Now, we know that the Azeris don't like the Russians and don't like the Iranians, but they're, again, it's part of the broader picture that we discussed before. I know people may glaze over, but believe me, all these things will have important consequences. It's a reshaping that's taking place. And again, with a country, Russia itself today is not a superpower, but they're acting as it, and they're they're translating it. And you see everybody, you know, running to 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 talk to them. And part of it, yeah, it is a slap at the U.S. or a message to the U.S. But the bottom line is, they all want relationship with the United States. But I, I, the Iranians, on a diplomatic level, don't try to deal with this and don't try to uh, you know, get rid of the Russians. Um, and the and the uh, you know the the subsequent building of bases like this in Iran. I mean, it just it, it, for those the Iranian government 
gave them permission, obviously, to do this. Uh, they want the weapons. They want to buy weapons. You know, they want to buy the Sukhoi. They got the S-300, which they're beginning to deploy at Fordo, which is supposed to be in, inactive for 15 years. So why do they need to deploy this uh, very sophisticated uh, anti-missile system there? It's a good question that you ask. And, <laughs> uh, and I think Iran right now is focused uh, on many fronts, one is keeping Assad in power. One is, uh, you know, sustaining their terrorist uh, allegiance in the network, Hamas, Hezbollah, et cetera, et cetera. But also, there is an escalating situation, which again gets little attention between Saudi Arabia as the leader of the Sunnis and and Iran. And they use the Hajj, which began t- begins today, you know, the annual pilgrimage mm-hmm. to to Mecca and Medina, but to to um, uh, where they uh, go to the Kaaba and they walk around. And remember last year there was a tragedy and right. many people died, including hundreds of Iranians. Iranians are going to international court. But they're using it now as a weapon against Iran. And look at the language that the, the uh, Supreme Leader said, that the Saudis are incompetent, they're, they're ineptitude, they uh, uh, accuse them of all sorts of wicked things. That, and they answered and said, and the chief imam said uh, from Saudi Arabia that they're not Muslims, that the Iranians aren't really Muslims, which is, of course, a tremendous insult. And they are escalating the violence, and they're operating through proxies. They accuse each other of being behind the wars in Yemen, in Iraq, in, in Syria. And the truth is that all of this is true. They both have involvements in, in these places, but not playing the same role. Iran is trying to undermine those regimes, and, and it is saying it. And the... Uh, Russia downplays the Iranian nuclear thing. They defend uh, some of these countries, and and some of the actions uh, of Iran certainly have not imposed the sanctions that you know they're selling them the Sukhoi uh, fighter jets, et cetera, because they make money uh, out of all of this. PA elections are they still scheduled? They are not. They've been canceled. And, and uh, as a, um, before, we were, uh, during our last appearance, I said that it wouldn't take place. Because uh, Abbas can't afford it, and, and, Ham, and um, uh, Hamas doesn't can't afford it, because neither wants to be put to the test. And uh, the, it's a court ruling. Uh, they say because of the competing lists, because five Fatah lists were knocked out, uh, but also because they started seeing the handwriting that major cities might have come voted for in the West Bank, might have voted for for Hamas, and the the. Um, uh, both sides are not interested in a real democratic process, so it was inevitable that this would be uh, postponed, as it has been for years. It's seven years since the last election, so he's in his eleventh year of a four-year term, and the <laughs> and the um, and the people suffered. You know, again, I don't know that there was that much interest in having an election because they don't have another leader. There's no body contesting. Abbas right now, right. Uh, who, who's standing in the wings are various individuals who put themselves forward, but no, I would say, natural successor. Nobody's standing there. So um, I don't know that it, it, people, are, the Palestinians are very frustrated. And uh, the West, instead of pushing all the time for pressing Israel, and they, they recognize, they have to recognize, that Israel can sit and offer to negotiate, but they have nobody on the other side of the table. And you see from this, that it's not going to be anybody on the other side of the table now. Uh, usually, today's what, September the 9th, usually around this time we're already 
uh, discussing the um, uh, United Nations and the General Assembly meeting and everything that's going to be happening toward the end of September. Uh, maybe last year wasn't as active as prior years. You know, when, once once you lose Ahmadinejad as a personality, all of a sudden things die down. But but is is it in fact? Uh, less dramatic and uh, more anticlimactic now, and there will be much less discussion over the next couple of weeks uh, in terms of what's going to be happening at the U.N. this month? No, we're going to be discussing it, and, be, and one of the reasons it's less is that it's overshadowed by the U.S. election, which it sucks up much of, uh, of the energy, and many of the issues we discuss are not getting the proper attention because everybody's focused on he and she said and who said what and who did uh, what to whom or looked the wrong way. Uh, and rather than looking at the issues, and, and there are many that are emerging. For one thing, we have election of a secretary general. We have met with most of the candidates now, um, and it's it's certainly undetermined. There will be another straw vote, but the real votes won't take place till October, because the Russians are going to control the process. The Russians want to vote then because they they will be in the presidency of the Security Council where the discussion takes place. So that gives them a lot of leverage. And the United States and Russia determine who the next person will be, right. though each of the five permanent members has a, a veto over the choice. Uh, others can vote against it, and you saw that no one has a perfect record of 15 to 0. Some have two opposition, three opposition, some have eight opposition. Uh, but when it comes to the, the next stage is they vote, and you know who's a permanent member, and it's a colored ballot where they say absolutely not. That's a death knell for candidates. So they were hoping of uh, the 13, some would drop out. Two did during the summer, but the rest, nobody dropped out uh, now. So we will see a lot more. And It's like the Republican primary. you got a lot of people up there. <laughs> you have a lot, and you'll be hearing from a lot of them. But the, the, um, uh, the process is really very internal. But the issues itself at the General Assembly could be very serious, and as we know, maybe later on at the U.N. could become the venue for some... Uh, I'm sure the Palestinians are going to make a move. Maybe it'll be a settlement resolution. Maybe right. it'll be something else. Likely they won't do it till after the U.S. election. Then I think we may see more action yeah, you've on said, the Middle uh, issue. You've said pay attention to September, but possibly pay more attention toward the very end of the calendar year. To November, right. You know, that may be when uh, when things really heat up. I mean, I know you don't... I, we, we all know, I think, at this point, any regular listener, what your position is on what's happening vis-a-vis -vis the uh, next occupant of the White House. Uh, but I saw something this week. I saw someone say that um, that for the first time ever, they will not exercise their right to vote. That's how disenchanted they are with this current election process, which I think anybody who views it can understand that position. But, but Malcolm, for a moment, uh, you know, what would our grandparents and great-grandparents say when we are in a situation where we can vote and we are making a decision not to. Wouldn't you still tell people in our community to still get out there and make some type of decisive move on November the 8th? First of all, you have all of Congress up for re-election and the Senate, which is of extreme importance to us. And it's very important that people go and vote. Vote your conscience, vote whatever you feel, study the issues, the candidates, and then make a decision. But the absence, and especially in Jewish communities, because politicians may not be able to do a lot, but they can all count, and they know who votes and who doesn't vote. Mm -hmm. So it's really imperative that not, even if you don't like the candidates, you can write in, you can do exercise a protest vote of some kind. It's a waste. If you feel strongly about a candidate, you should uh, express that in, in a vote. But the next president is going to face immediate and critical 
uh, developments as this president did. But we've talked about some of the things. Look, look at the harassment by Iran of American ships and American uh, in the destroyer and uh, the um, uh, what he calls the aircraft carrier group. And seven times in a single day, they harass. They come within a hundred yards or of of and and run directly in front of these uh, uh, high speed attack boats. And and what is the message? What is the message if we don't take uh, some sort of action? You see, North Korea's uh, fifth uh, nuclear test, plus the ballistic missile test, plus Iran's ballistic missile test. All these are violations of Security Council resolutions. All of these will end up meaning that they will be way ahead in the development of, of a nuclear weapons capacity, regardless of when, you know, whether it's in 10 years or 9 years, none of these things, these are very short periods of time in, in the course of, um, of history. And we learned that Venezuela and Iran are, are jointly manufacturing cruise missiles, and that it, it goes back to a program, I think, in 2009, where they started uh, developing when Iran was under sanctions. Mm. Um, so... And you have the creation of this new Shiite Liberation Army by by the IRGC, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, which they say they're going to use against Israel, they're going to use against Saudi Arabia, and uh, it's and part of the escalation of tension that I, I mentioned before. So the next president is not going to have a lot of leeway. The Congress is not going to have a lot of leeway. Right now we need Congress to act on the Iran Sanctions Act. So people should reach out to their members of Congress speak about it, demand that they act. We want BDS legislation. We want other things to take place. And while, again, why I say what I do about the presidential election, sucking all of the attention, and why I won't discuss it, is because we've got to get people to focus back on where they can really make a difference. Right. Congressional races, and most importantly, the issues. North Korean nuclear testing is against the U.N. resolution, right? Of course. Right, yeah. Just, just and they get away with it, so we have sanctions against them. They don't care about And you know what's funny about that, by the way? You know, we always complain that there's no press attention, no media attention for these types of activities. Not only do they get media attention, they don't get negative media attention for it. That's well, they do, but, but you know, everybody says, oh, it's North Korea. Right. You know, but, but first of all, there is a synergy. There is an interrelationship between Iran and North Korea. The missiles you see in Iran are based on the Nodong from North Korea. We know that that Iranians were present at a lot of the previous tests. So I believe that there is a close interrelationship, and there are people who have studied and documented some of this to, to, between Iran and North Korea. And when North Korea tests a missile, it's Iran. When Iran tests a missile, the North Koreans benefit from the information as well. And, and the same in the nuclear. And which neighbors of North Korea um, uh, most fear? Well, China's already said that they're going to file a complaint. To, but first of all, it's South Korea, which is most scared. Japan, apoplectic about Korea. Um, anybody in the region uh, will be, but those are the main countries that are, are up, for whom it's, a, it's a, a great concern. All right, one week from today, we continue with the weekly update. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos, and we should, everybody should note, as we try to point out, when you sit with your kids, Tell them about the discovery that after years of sifting through the debris that you know the Palestinians destroyed on the top of Harabites on the Temple Mount, they have found the marbles and put them together in a painstaking way that we can see the actual floor of the second base Hamikdash. The actual the tiles put together in a, an incredibly complex geometric design. And if you didn't do it, just go back, Google it. You will see the pictures 
of the tiles that you can see what was in the courtyard of the of the temple, the base of Mikdash, two thousand years ago. We have it. They can see it. And if that's not something that should counteract all of the negative world things to say that God is sending us a message that this is such an amazing discovery every day now because it's coming to the end of the summer digging season. So many things are coming up. A shul that's 1,500 years old, 1,600 years old. It's amazing. And this in particular should have everybody abuzz. That should be what everybody talk about this Shabbos. No, no okay. question about it. Uh, print out that article, folks, and, re- and, re- and read, it at the, read it at the Shabbos table. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Friday morning broadcast on this era of Shabbos. Parsha Shoftim, candlelighting at 6.54 on this era of Shabbos. 6.54, this time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Shoftim. Parshas Shoftim, according to the Chinuch, contains 41 mitzvos, 14 positive mitzvos, and 27 restrictions. Interestingly, the Parsha begins with the mitzvah of appointing judges and officers. On the surface, it means that the judges and officers are to ensure that there is law and order in the land. Tzedek Tzedek Tirdov. The Chinuch understands this a lot stronger. And I quote the opening sentence of the Chinuch. Lemanos shoftim v'shotrim. There is an obligation on the Jewish nation to appoint judges, officers, sheyachrichu lasos mitzvos ha-Torah. Their job is to ensure that the Jewish community performs mitzvos. We believe that Judaism is a democracy. You want to, you don't know. That's not what the Torah is saying. The Torah is saying you are to create an environment you're to create a society in which the Jewish people observe the Torah. And if need be, to help those who have gone, quote, off the derech. And we're talking about so many individuals. We're not talking only about certain teenagers who come from observant homes and are more rebellious for different reasons regarding their surroundings. We're talking about the obligation on the entire Jewish community to observe Torah and mitzvot. That is their responsibility to create the environment in which people should please God, want to observe and want to live a Torah way of life. Indeed, the Shalah HaKadosh and the B'nai Yisachar in his Agra Tekala understand the opening Pasuk of Shoftim V'Shotrim 
titen lecha, you are to place pachosha orecha in all your gates to mean not only the appointment of judges in your cities, but rather to refer to the various she'arim openings of the individual, titen lecha, that you have, namely the openings of our head, the two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, and our mouth, that these gates are to be titen lecha, in your control, meaning that you are to be on guard to create for yourself a positive, nurturing environment open for growth. Now, I particularly use that expression, open for growth, because, interestingly, man resists change. If we take a look at the very first man, Adam Arishon, the Torah tells us in the second Perek of Bereshis, chapter 15, that Vayikach, Hashem takes Es Ha'adam, God takes man, right, which He created, and what does He do? He places him in Gan Eden. Vayikach Hashem Olkim Es Ha'adam, Vayanichayu B'Gan Eden. What didn't you understand? It's quite clear. Rashi adds, Vayikach Lokho Bidvarim. God doesn't simply move him from one location to another, but he has to persuade him. What does that mean? It means that wherever Adam was created outside the garden, he was satisfied and happy to be there. Hashem had to persuade him, come on Adam, it will be good for you, etc. That causes Adam to be moved and when the time comes to leave the garden the Torah teaches the same thing that the Torah says first at the end of chapter 3 that Hashem literally sends Adam away in a polite way but then unfortunately when Adam resists the change and doesn't want to leave then the next pasuk Hashem literally has to banish him and chase him out man resists change and we find so many of the Musar teachers tell us that they quote the teaching of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, Zechat Tzadik, the Kodosh Levracha, that it's easier to finish studying the entire Talmud than to change one of our character traits, one of our Midos. And Rav Avram Tursky, in his work, Addictive Thinking, has the following interesting experiment. Try it. Fold your hands across your chest, naturally, to relax, and observe the position of your hands. Some people fold the left over the right, others the reverse. And after noting how you do it, unfold your hands, and now fold them again, this time in the opposite way. If you normally put right over left, this time put left over right.
And you'll probably notice how awkward this feels. The old way is normal and relaxing. And the new way may seem strange. And you may feel you can never relax in this position. Now listen, my friends. If a simple change in position in your hands is uncomfortable, just think how uncomfortable it is to change part of your behavior or lifestyle. But yet, the Torah tells us you could do it, and you will do it. Now, Rev. Elio Schlesinger, Shlita, in his Eile Hadvarim, gives several powerful examples of great individuals who resisted change. Now, I believe both in the Torah and in Tanakh, there's no such thing as a Bible story. If stories are given, it's for us to learn the lesson they're from. What to do or what not to do. And as a preface, oftentimes we see something and we say to ourselves, Oh my goodness, how could it be? And we see this unfortunately in Yenem, in the next person. But we don't see it in ourselves. And therefore, as I share these three different stories from Tanakh with you, I ask you, don't look only to the right and left and in front of you and behind you and attribute this to people whom we know don't change, but let's look primarily at ourselves. Now, interestingly, Rish Lakish in the Gemara Erevin 19a teaches that Rishoim Afilu al Pisko Shel Gehenom Enom Chosrim that literally evildoers, even at the brink of Gehenom of hell, do not change and repent. Case in point after the city of Yericho was burnt and destroyed by Yoshua, Yoshua imposes a curse on whoever would attempt to rebuild the city. Amazing. What does he say? He warns the Jewish people, Arur Ha'ish, cursed is the man. Lifnei Hashem, Asheyokum Uvana Esoir Hazos. If he'll have the chutzpah to rebuild Jericho. Bivchoro Yiasdena, literally, with his firstborn son, Will he, unfortunately, pay? His first and oldest child will die when he lays the foundation. And Uvitsiiro, with his youngest child, Yatsiv de Losela, will he literally set up his gates? Now, though this was a most frightening curse, that one would lose each of his sons during the construction. Five centuries later, Chil of Beit El, during the reign of Achav, defied the curse of Yoshua, and as we're taught in Malachim 1, Book of Kings 1, 
chapter 16, Pasuk 34, we find literally, Biyamav, in the days of Achav, Banachil Beso Elias Yericho, Ba'aviram Bechoro Yosda, with his oldest son, Aviram. He lost him when he laid the foundation. And with his son, Skiv, unfortunately, his youngest one, he died when he opened the gates of the city. As Hashem had told Yoshua Binun. Now, I believe that this is something which none of us would believe were not written in the Tanakh. Ask yourself, how is it possible that after the passing of his oldest, which occurred with the laying of the foundation, and the subsequent passing of his sons, how could he continue to defy the word and will of Hashem? But what's the answer? The answer is the Gemara in Erevin, that Rishoim, the wicked ones, even when they are at the gate of hell, Enam Chosrim, they don't repent and they say stubborn in their ways. And moreover, the Alkit Shimoni in Melachim 1, chapter 18, tells us that when Elio and Nabi challenged the forge and 50 prophets to come to the top of Hara Carmel to bring down the fire, this same Chil agreed to risk his life under the Mizbeach that the false prophets had made and was going to ignite a fire from beneath the altar, giving the impression that Baal had indeed responded to their request, only to be bitten and killed by a snake sent from Hashem. A second example. In the days of Yirmiyot, there was a false prophet. His name was Hanania ben Azor, who tried to influence the Jewish nation against Yirmiyot and against returning to Hashem. Yirmiyot prophesied that the false prophet would die that year. Hanania, listen to this, was on his deathbed and died, as we're taught in Yirmiyahu chapter 28 Pasuk 17 but what does Rashi tell us that what was the last will and testament of this Hanania he told his children that please bury me after Rosh Hashanah and that way people will see aha that Yirmiyahu was wrong that I didn't die before Rosh Hashanah that year as the prophet had said I would but his words were not actualized once again literally at the opening of Gehenna he's on his deathbed instead of repenting the wicked do not repent and remember we see it in Yenam and finally Yeruvim ben Nevat who while he was offering incense to idolatry as he stood on the altar is confronted by Edo the Navi and Edo said to him the very altar will split its ashes will spill and Yeruvan stretched out his hand and said seize him and at that point his arm became paralyzed we find this in the first book of Kings chapter 13 Pasuk 4 and he could not withdraw his arm
The altar breaks, as Ido said it would. Its ashes spilled. And Yeravam then asks, listen to this chutzpah, he asks the Navi to pray to Hashem that his arm be healed. The prophet prays, and the Pusa continues, listen carefully, that the king was able to bring back his arm, Vatihi Kivarishona, and it was as before. Though the literal understanding of the last two words, it was as before, is that his arm became healthy as it was before. But the Medjish Tanchuma in Kisisa teaches, you know what it means, that the king, he, Yeravim ben Nevat, was like before. Namely, he returned to Avodah These three examples, Nebach, what do they show? They show how entrenched one can be in their ways, how difficult it is to change. So why am I sharing this with you? Because again, we must learn that unbelievable, we can do it. And therefore, watch, given the difficulty for change, I believe the first thing is, how are we going to do it? Starting tomorrow morning when we say in the Shemona Esrei. Now, not the Shemona Esrei of Shabbos, but starting this afternoon at Mincha. Please God, when we dive in Mincha, we have the Shemona Esrei in three sections. The middle section, which has the requests. The first request is for knowledge. das Understanding. God, give me understanding that I can see what's going on in my life. And then what's the next thing? The bracha of tshuva, whereby hashivenu avinu secha what does that mean? We ask for Hashem, I can't do it alone. It's so hard for me to do it. But guess what? Your divine assistance in the process, you can help me and you will help me. And He wants to help me. And that's a very important first step. Pray for it and Hashem will. You open up a little door. The Medrash teaches so powerfully. Pishuli. Open for me that little bit of a door like the eye of a needle, and I, Hashem, will assist you and open up the door that wagons can pass through. That's number one. And secondly, I believe that another very important component regarding the challenge of change is to listen to Avos. Pirkei Avos, chapter 1, Mishnah 16, Asei Lecha Rav. Get yourself a teacher, a mentor, who by virtue of your association with him serves as a positive inspiration for growth and personal accountability. Learn from these stories once again. We see it in Yenem, how foolish the next one is to be so entrenched in their ways. If it wasn't possible, the Torah wouldn't ask it of us. Shoftim v'shoftim, titain l'cha. It starts with you, and we can do it, especially in this month of Elul. Shabbat Shalom to all. Friday morning broadcast, it's JM in the AM on this Arab Shabbos Parsha Shoftim. Thank you, Rabbi Yudin. Um, we'll talk about Chicago in a minute. I just want to go through a couple of things that are going on important to this audience. First of all, 
Uh, I've been reminded that Hatzalah in uh, Middlesex County is uh, going to be holding its annual fundraiser. The big fundraising carnival is this Sunday starting at 1 o'clock. 71 Ethel Road in Piscataway, New Jersey. A big shout-out to Fischl Earps, our good friend who founded Hatzalah down in Middlesex County, and now it serves Edison Highland Park in East Brunswick and many communities in the Raritan Valley. Come and be part of the um, festivities on Sunday, Hatzalah Middlesex County Annual Fundraiser. This coming Sunday, 1 o'clock until 5 o'clock, 71 Ethel Road in the Piscataway. Also, you may recall, those of you who were tuned in, um, I don't know, just a few weeks ago, we spoke with Miriam Wolf. And um, we spoke with Mary Wolf. We spoke. We spoke with um, with uh, Mo Rebecca. <laughs> I just revealed the answer to uh, to one of the big uh, questions here. Um, we spoke to Mo Rebecca of MoRebecki dot com, and she introduced at that time something called the Gaula Project. Uh, whoever was tuned in at the time, there's obviously an archive you could check out about it. So uh, we, we said we'd announce the winners on the air. So congratulations, Miriam Wolf from Avat Yisrael in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Israel. She wins with her original recipe for Gaula cupcakes. <laughs> Daphna Rosenberg of Halb wins with an essay describing what life will be like with Gaula. Dovi Baum from Magena Vot in Ramat Beit Shemesh has an essay about Gaula, and he's a winner. Miriam Katz, age 10, of Passaic, New Jersey. Shout out to Miriam in Passaic with her picture entitled Make a Brick on the Beit HaMikdash. She's a winner. And Simcha Esses with, uh, with her uh, picture entry of the Beit HaMikdash coming down. And Rachel Nava Solomon, age seven, with her drawing of the Beit HaMikdash. So go to morebeki.com. You'll see the details on all the projects that she does, including Project Gula, or the Gula Project, I should say. Congratulations to all the winners. Also, a reminder that the Sephardic Community Center this coming Sunday is um, having a, a Gift of Life Marrow Registry. Um, Adam is a 31-year-old father of three in desperate need of a life-saving bone marrow transplant. Uh, it's this coming Sunday, September the 11th, in the Sephardic Community Center on Ocean Parkway, the corner of Avenue S. It starts at 10.30 in the morning. I got this note from our good friend Joe Levy, and uh, he asked us to announce it and get the word out, and I hope everybody has a chance to stop by in Brooklyn this coming Sunday, 10.30 until 2.30 at the Sephardic Community Center for the Gift of Life Marrow Registry in an attempt to save Adam, a 31-year-old father of three. And I remind everybody that the uh, Mothers of Multiple Support Group um, has a very important lecture, What Goes Down Must Come Up, Understanding Pediatric Reflux. And we have spoken about this topic many, many times. In fact, I spoke about it earlier this morning based on a comment on the app that somebody had. Dr. David Klein on this topic. This coming Tuesday night, 8 p.m., with a light buffet dinner, free parking, and a free gift, brought to you by Maimonides Medical Center and the Shea Cares. It is... Um, uh, happening this coming Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at Maimonides Hall, 950 49th Street, between 9th and 10th Avenues. Information on the support groups, info at agudawomen.org, info at agudawomen.org. And a reminder that our good friend Mati Atlas continues to, uh, uh, to, continues to give advice and uh, encouragement to those who are um, uh, mothers of multiples, parents of multiples, I should say, under the auspices of uh, Aguda Women and the Shea Cares. You can be in touch with her. Mati.atlas at yahoo.org. Mati, M-A-T-T-I dot atlas at yahoo.org for information about that. And Monday, we hope to have more Brooklyn Cyclones tickets to give out, or I should say differently. Um, Monday, we hope to have more Israel 
National Team World Baseball Classic tickets to, tickets to give out. Mazel tov going out to Tamar Berger and Giddy Hershander on last night's wedding in Lakewood, New Jersey. Mazel tov to the Berger, Weichselbaum, Hershander families. Aaron Teitelbaum was there with the Sensational Orchestra, and Jonathan Schlagbaum was the lead singer. So Mazel tov Tamar and Giddy from all of us here at uh, JM in the AM. And a member of the Siegel family was at a wedding in Lakewood last night. I wonder if that was the one. <laughs> Miriam L. Wallach is with us live via telephone. We have a big uh, a big day to talk about regarding Sunday, which kicks off with Matis Weingast, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Rabbi Lipman, whose birthday is also today, is going to be Matis' guest. He, of course, at one time was a member of Knesset in Israel. He'll join Matis between 7 and 9. Miriam L. Wallach, welcome back to JM in the AM. And can, Good you morning, be- Nahum. can you believe that every single Sunday he continues to do a live presentation early in the morning of JM Sunday? Pretty amazing, huh? He makes the rest of us look terrible. <laughs> he look. He makes. He. he <laughs> I get up really early to do this. He makes, makes me look horrible because of what I he know. what he does on Sunday morning. So Matis, kudos to you. Oh, and Matis has invited me on. He's invited me on for oh. Sunday. We'll talk about the NSN uh, um, season, kicking off season number five, right. and we'll get a word, and obviously, about to, because if I do get on the air Sunday, it'll be from Chicago. We'll be there already, uh, um, you know, toward the end of his show on Sunday morning if the plane lands on time. So, yeah, there are a lot of ifs in that sentence, yeah, but yeah. hopefully everything, all the, all the, everything should fall where it needs to, and you'll be able to be live with Matis on the air on JM Sunday. Now, we've been talking a lot throughout the entire network about what's happening Sunday, and we're inviting our friends in Chicago and anybody who knows people out there to come see us and have a good time. It's happening at the Kosher Marketplace, Jewel Osco on Howard Street in Evanston. I think everybody in Chicago knows about it already, that's for sure. And they have a whole bunch of stuff going on, including a 9-11 tribute that's going to be happening since Sunday is the anniversary of the September 11th attacks. Um, we will be there broadcasting live starting at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, and people can watch it at NahumSingle.com and hear it, of course, on the app. And we hope people will comment on the app and interact with us through social media while we're out there in the middle of the country. But I found out a piece of news that you and I are, are going to be very excited about. You ready for this? This is part of my birthday present. This, yes, it is. Because one of the... And it's so funny because yesterday... We got into a discussion on the air, for those of you who heard the live lunch about, uh, which is usually a topic for us, lunch, and and what we would do in, in terms of uh, food in Chicago, because there are, there are a lot of options out there, you know. That's true. And then you pointed out, well, we're in a supermarket and all that, you know. So listen to this note that I got. Uh, we've done some amazing uh, live broadcasts from supermarkets in the past, and our friends at Manischewitz have uh, really stepped that up for us recently. And, um, you know, so we, we get to go to these places, and there are a lot of, you know, samplings and the tastings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I heard from Brent the Cheese Guy. Our friend Brent the Cheese Guy? Yeah, where's that big gasp that I expected when you heard that I heard from Brent the Cheese Guy? Well, it wasn't a gasp. It was more like I'm staring because I'm like, okay. He yes. says he looks forward to feeding all of us some wonderful cheeses in Chicago. Oh. And he says, come early before becoming Flaschik. Now, I, I, you know, what can I tell you? Now, now I think the day is complete. Now that we know that in addition to everything else, there'll be some great cheese sampling of kosher uh, cheeses out there. And I mentioned him, and, and you know why, because he is one of the most fun guests we have on the air. Um, you know, in he's the, also, sorry to interrupt, but he's also legitimately nice. Oh, 100%. He's yeah. very nice, and he is so passionate about cheese. Oh. <laughs> I mean, as, as as passionate as you and I are about radio, this man is obsessed with cheese. It's and I'm not knocking it, and he has award-winning products. And one hen- is better than the next. And he was also the one who introduced us 
to Swiss cheese and honey. And which is perfect for this time of year because honey obviously is becoming more and more in focus as we get closer to the brand new year. So. Right. So it's it's good to mention that, but but that's how you get the name, the cheese guy, yeah. when you're obsessed with cheese. That's right. how it I happens. am the cheese guy. Exactly. So it's like every day is a big block of cheese for him. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, but I'm certainly looking forward to Chicago. Shout out to everyone in the Windy City. We're looking forward to being there. Shout out, by the way, to Yoni. Yeah, you think he's tuned in? I think he's hungover from milk. Yeah. We, yeah, I think he's had plenty of uh, barbecue last night. We're referring to our advance man, Yoni Pollock, who is uh, in Chicago at the moment and uh, did take advantage of some of the great culinary delights in the Windy City last evening. He's also the host of Bite Size. That's correct. We introduced him earlier this week as the host of that program on the Nahum Siegel Network. So he's out there now. He'll be there. I, I hope he's spreading the word. I hope he's getting the feeling already that Chicago is a buzz that the Nahum Siegel Network will be out there. I hope. I hope he's awake. <laughs> Let's start with that. We have different expectations, I see. Right, right, because, you know, that time difference, he's that not, jet lag is a real killer. So you're saying it's not likely that right now he's spreading the word. It's not I'm likely. I'm saying that we have a conference call in 15 minutes. I hope I don't have to wake him. Yeah, good point. Yeah, exactly. All exactly. right, to so Chicago, get ready for us and come on by. Oh, by the way, I, I posted, you know, there's a Siegel family, extended Siegel family Facebook group. So I, I, I posted this morning. That I expect to see all my relatives stop by. Now, I don't know. Was that a good idea or a bad idea? I don't know, but there's gonna be able. Nobody's gonna be able to see if they're standing in front. That's all I gotta tell you. <laughs> very good. Thank you. Nice height reference joke. I like Thank that. Thank you very, very much. No, it's super exciting. Chicago's gonna be great, and the weather's supposed to be great. And uh, we will take our. We will certainly take a moment for 9/11. That is absolutely true. You and right. I have different stories as to where we were, and that is a day, as I mentioned yesterday, that shook us all to our core. Right. No question about that. So right. we'll do that as part of Sunday's broadcast. Yes. All right. I hope everybody will be listening. And uh, Chicago, we look forward to seeing you. Uh, and, uh, so did you speak to the baker there about my cake? Baker where? In Chicago. I assume that at some point during the broadcast, somebody's presenting me with a cake. It, it, you know, it's so funny. I'm waiting. It's so funny because we're instructed, frankly... We're instructed to completely avoid the topic of birthday celebrations. Yep. And then publicly, in front of tens of thousands, you're soliciting the, 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 the desire to have a cake presented to you on Sunday. Now I also want balloons. <laughs> Explain how this happens. You, you know, think Uncle going to sing me a song? You know, you are surrounded by people who, if you did express this <laughs> about, a, about a week ago, would have gone ahead and done all this. You know, I'm a conundrum. The staff you know, would, would have been more than happy to have celebrated with you instead of avoiding the topic. I know, but what was going to happen? You already wished me a happy birthday on the air earlier in today's program. So now I'm going to come on and pretend it never happened? But balloons and a cake? I, at least balloons and a cake. If there's no clown, I'll be okay. Sarah Stromer will make sure that, who, who's also ready in Chicago, will make sure that all the decorations are appropriate. You should know who wished me a happy birthday today from the Holy Land. Yeah, who's that? Yosef Siegel. Ah, how are those seagulls doing? I actually, and you know who just sent me a text now? Yeah. Ariel Foreman. How do you like that? Yeah, any, it's really any, quite lovely. Any, I thank everybody for their wishes, both on Facebook and on the app. <laughs> anybody who misses anybody who misses some of the staples of American Jewish society, like Yosef and Ariel, it's good that we've heard from them. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. All right. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll see you Sunday in the Windy City. That's Miriam El Wallach on this Erev Shabbos. It's candle lighting at 6.54, 6.54, official candlelighting time for this era of Shabbos.
and uh, again, a reminder of Dove Lippman joins Matis, whose birthday is today, by the way, Herbert Lippman, uh, joins Matis this coming Sunday. Uh, during JM Sunday, and then we hope to uh, speak to Matis toward the latter part of the program once we've touched down in Chicago, Illinois. Time to say good job as it's Journeys at JM in the AM. Oh 
Achenam Yisrael, Nazi Machem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Wraps up a great week for us here at JM in the AM. Uh, Sunday, you know the schedule for Sunday. Monday, we're back here starting at 6 a.m. Make sure to join us. Don't forget Naomi Nachman with the season premiere of Table for Two is next. Coming up at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Stay tuned for Naomi and her great show. She has amazing guests coming up next. Video online at nachomsegel.com. And then the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. Just keep it going in your home, in your car, in your office all day long until candle lighting time. Thank you to our friends at Kedem. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Great weekend. Until next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.